Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we are joined by a very special guest, Alex. I can genuinely say uh, it's only been twice, but both times I was I was excited to record with this dude because he always he always teaches me something I didn't know about uh, the Knicks or or some draft prospects. It's the great Jake Rosen, uh, a precocious neophyte, to break down in this episode uh, the early season performances from the Knicks' two rookies, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. Yeah, we talk about a lot with those two as well. We talk about with Obi, you know, what was missed in the pre-draft evaluation from him. Why has this, you know, projected sudden and immediate impact from him not really come to be in the NBA and why have things been so hard for him? So we talk about that some with Jake, try to get to the bottom of that whole issue. Then talk about on the other end of the spectrum, Emmanuel quickly and why, you know, Jake and others had him going anywhere from, you know, mid second round to undrafted to, you know, some people maybe early second round and how he has worked out so well for the Knicks, what has led to his meteoric rise, but what things he still has to work on as well. And whether he might have some physical limitations that kind of cap his ceiling in the NBA. So We'll talk about all that on this episode of Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster in non-pandemic times, sort of a a day and night, full-time, 24-7 podcast host in this extended pandemic, and I am joined by the great Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, and as promised, a very special guest, one of our favorite from our long summer of draft coverage. It's Jake Rosen, co-host of the Prep to Pro pod, and also the, I assume, the only writer, the lead writer, the creator of JakeInThePaint.com, where he shares some incredible draft takes. Uh, one of one of the best draft writers out there. I know we had literally everyone from the draft world on. I, I can say, Jake, you were you were amongst our most enjoyable guests and our and our most informative guests this summer. Welcome back to the show, and uh, I'm excited to get into the Knicks rookies with you. First off, um, thank you guys for the very kind introduction. Definitely haven't gotten as many of those before, so it's pretty refreshing and humbling to get that big lead up. Um, but I'm I'm glad to be back on. I had a lot of fun talking draft prospects with you guys last time. Um, we're here to talk about a more fun class, in my opinion, um, and also talk some Knicks rookies, which have been there have been some surprises. We'll, we'll leave it at that for now. Let's get into it. Yeah, certainly. Uh, so, I mean, I guess we can we can start. We, I, I think everybody would probably be like, start with quickly, because uh, obviously he's taken all of New York City by storm uh, and, you know, captured the attention and the love of all Knicks fans. But I think we'll work in chronological order of draft order and start with Obi Toppin. Um, you know, you wrote a, a funny tweet the other day that I liked, and this is uh, part of what I like about your uh, your general 
attitude towards all this is you said quickly, potentially the most productive rookie so far, Toppin, struggling to make any kind of impact and adjusting to the NBA looks like a steep uphill battle. Yep, just as I expected. Um, what do you think it is with Obi that people missed, including you? You know, where I, I think that it was pretty, seemed pretty universally accepted that everybody thought that he was going to have this like, John Collins-ish type impact where maybe he'd be capped in what he could offer you, but he was going to give you something right away at the pro level. And I, it clearly hasn't been there. You know, it's, it's not to say that I think that he's, he hasn't shown some stuff because the passing has been higher level than we thought. Um, You know, his, his defense, I think actually has been not as bad as advertised, Uh, but other things like his, his blow by ability, his straight line, you know, scoring, which granted we don't get to see a ton of, but you know, even that it's not quite as crazy as we thought. And maybe the biggest thing to me has been that he just doesn't look big enough to bang with NBA bigs right now. Whereas people, you know, we're looking at him and saying, you know, he's maybe a little top heavy, but he should be at least strong enough to hang with fours, you know, in many cases. But so far he looks like, I mean, sometimes he gets a two switched on him and still looks like he's overmatched physically. So I guess I'll just like start the OB discussion, Jake, by saying like, what, what has been different so far in his career, which granted is, you know, probably all of 120 minutes long thus far or something. Uh, but what has been different in his career thus far, what we've seen with him on the Knicks versus what you and other draft analysts were seeing coming into the draft where, you know, it seemed like people thought he was going to be an instant impact sort of player who maybe just would peak early. So, I mean, I'm fully going to acknowledge, and I'll just preface this. I'm not one to get very self-conscious about my hits or misses. Um, I want to give myself a little bit more credit on the OB thing because I did come into it with more skepticism, you know, in the mainstream I think he was kind of just penciled in as his top three guys, the best player in college basketball, high-flying, intelligent four-man, um, uber-efficient, flash the shooting ability. But in reality, when you dove into it, it, it was much more context-dependent than people were really, really willing to actually admit. Um, and I think that's been the biggest difference in his college career and his early Knicks career is that the context, he went from a 99th percentile context at Dayton, being surrounded by four shooters, hordes of space um intelligent passers and just an offense that was basically catered around spacing and his rim gravity and it was extremely effective and probably my favorite thing to watch in all of college basketball last year and I actually before I became co-host of Prep Pro Pod I went on as a guest on draft night and uh shared my skepticism with the Knicks in regards to Obi Toppin and it was basically stemmed from this is that the Knicks never had a system in place to maximize Obi Toppin for his strengths. And therefore I was worried that he was going to get pushed into his weaknesses and not necessarily weaknesses, but just you're not doing a good job of maximizing someone who's going to turn 23 in, in a month. And that's a little bit frightening on the, on the prospect side. And I think the reason for that is like you have two rim running centers, Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel. They are not spacing the floor. They are not playmaking. They are strictly dive man who are going to catch and finish. That's Obi Toppin's biggest strength. You can't have two people diving to the rim in this day and age in basketball. So because of that, we're seeing Obi Toppin get forced into the corner 
I mean, I've tweeted multiple times, the Knicks are treating Obi Toppin like he's Ray Allen, running him off movement screens and flares and and pin down. It's crazy. When in reality, he's a sec- he's not a primary creator. He's never going to create for himself. Yeah, there were a couple off the dribble flashes. Everyone saw the clip against Kansas where he kind of hit that step back and turned into the bench before the ball went in. But that was never who he was. He was always going to be someone that's value was being derived off of someone else, whether it's a scheme or a point guard. And the Knicks just didn't have that. They never had the spacing to, you know, plug and play him into these role man lineups. They don't have the point guard or facilitator to get him easy looks. And what you're seeing is his usage is just not in an ideal place right now. And I also think I had a lot of issues about his post offense, um, his high center of gravity, just his inability to get low and generate power from his legs. And that's what you're seeing is him getting pushed around by, like you said, twos, twos and threes. Um, Despite being so old and physically developed for a rookie, it doesn't matter because biomechanically, it's just not advantageous for him. So look, I had him in the top, I think I had him at 10 or nine in the back end of my top 10 because, you know, he was just so productive. And like you said, the passing was very impressive. And I think that's been my favorite part of his game so far. Um, You didn't want to overlook that. However, I will, you know, pat myself on the back for acknowledging that it was a more complicated eval than most were willing to admit. The holidays are finally behind us, which means it's time to catch up on some much-needed sleep. And even though getting a good night's sleep is much easier said than done, our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to sleep harder than NBA media was sleeping on DeAndre Hunter. Boom! Great reference, CBDMD. CBDPM blends 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD with melatonin, valerian root, chamomile, and other sleep-promoting ingredients to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. And if you want to relax a little before bed, their new CBD bath salts use superior CBD with Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bath into a luxury experience and are available in lavender or eucalyptus scents, as well as soothing nighttime blend with melatonin and calming herbs. Alex, I think I'm actually going to invest in that. It's very controversial in my friend group. Some people are out on the concept. I'm personally a big bath guy. I understand the counter argument. It's sort of a it's sort of sitting in a soup of your own make, but some people find gross. I find it immensely re- relaxing. I think the move is to bathe and then shower after so you know you're clean on the way out. But big bath guy, they're immensely relaxing. I don't have any jacuzzi access at the moment during a pandemic, so I got to settle for a great bath with CBD bath salts. And to make it even easier to get the year started off right, they're offering all our listeners 25% off their next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. All right, we'll be right back with Jake Rosen, but you can get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. All right, now we're back in with Jake Rose. And I think that's that's what's mystifying about the pick at the time. It wasn't necessarily that the Knicks considered him worthy of taking it eight. It was it was more so the fit. And I don't want to be 
two revisionist history on it because I, I was kind of saying, look, if they trade Julius Randle and you, you slot him in as a starting power forward, um, there there are ways that you could you could make it work. What, what was kind of surprising to me was, I mean, this was a guy in college who was so dominant because he could win with his strength, and he could, and if you put someone bigger on him, he could then win with his speed. In the NBA so far, he's been he, he's had an utter inability to win with either. And we've seen game after game after game now. And, and slowly but surely, he, he's just stopped trying. Um, he attempts to go baseline and he just gets stalled up every single time. It's been maybe like twice all year. He's actually won trying to beat someone to the rim going baseline. But more often than not, he gets stopped in his tracks and has to throw some ridiculous like up and under double pump. And he's such a good um, athlete in terms of hang time. And he's such a good and smart passer that he's been able to do that for the most part without turning it over. But it looks like someone who on the offensive end is just completely overwhelmed to your point, Jake, from a physical perspective. And, and that's extremely concerning. And, and that was sort of my logic on draft night. If this is a guy who on paper is going to be the very worst defender in the NBA, and I don't know if he's been quite that bad, but he, he's still he's still been pretty bad. Um, you, you need to justify taking him at eight in a draft with, um, I know at the time wasn't considered particularly deep, but um, I, I would say, according to most of the people we talked to, um, and according to what we were telling you on this podcast, there were a number of good options there. And guys like, um, I wasn't a big Halliburton fan. I was a big Devin Vassell fan. And I'll, I'll be happy about that in retrospect, because he would have been um, on paper a pretty perfect fit, um, given Emmanuel Quickly's emergence and, and the Knicks uh, three front court guys all playing really, really well. Um, and, and that was always the issue for me with him. Like he needed to be dominant offensively to justify the pick. And he's been anything but that early in his career. And granted, like, I don't want this to just be like a crap on Obi pod because he plays extremely hard. He plays for the most part, especially on offense, very smart. And he makes generally good decisions. He's had a couple of flash plays, particularly over the last couple of games, um, catching lobs in transition. Um, the few times he gets to run pick and rolls, it feels like he's gotten a dunk, like two dunks on the four pick and rolls he's gotten to run all season. Um, he's shown flashes of shooting the passing as you mentioned has mostly been pretty exemplary like I love his vision I love the the accuracy of his passes and most importantly like the velocity that he puts on the ball each and every time but yeah just not at least on my end not a lot of reasons for optimism so Jake any thoughts on that and also if you want to start getting into his defense a little bit because like Alex I've actually been somewhat encouraged by that end like he moves as if um someone like he's like he constantly has a cramp or like a pulled hamstring but it seems like generally he's making good decisions. Like twice a game, Tibbs flips out when he when he has like a mental breakdown. But it's not something that's necessarily atypical of, of rookies in general. And by and large, he's been a little bit better than I thought he would defensively. So wherever you want to go with all that, I mean, I mean, I'll just start with the defense. It's like a quick hitting point. Like I, I just always struggled to figure out where you were playing him defensively. I'm not comfortable with him operating on the perimeter consistently, sliding, hedging out pick and rolls, blitzing pick and rolls. I don't want him there. But then also when we're talking about someone in drop coverage with that shaky lateral movement, like you said, he moves like he has cramp all the time. And that long load time, despite being such, you know, a crazy vertical leaper, that long load time is all a short guard needs to hit you with a crafty finish and sneak it right under you. Um, it's just tough. I, I, the defense was always going to be a negative for me. And it was always okay if you were going to bring outlier offensive ability to the table and you have someone like Mitchell Robinson to clean you up on the back end. What we're, the problem that we're seeing is that not only is he not like outlier good 
he's not producing on offense. And and the problem is, is when you draft someone in the top 10, top eight, who's going to turn 23 in their rookie year, it's got to click sooner rather than later. And yeah, like I'm not, he is coming off an injury. Like he is playing short minutes. Again, I don't, I'm with you guys. I don't want this to seem like a crap on Obi pod. However, it is worth acknowledging that these concerns were always present. The fit was never, the fit never made any sense. The lineup optimization was always incredibly hard to imagine. The two things he thrives off of are good playmakers and good shooting, which we can both agree are probably the two, the, the Knicks two biggest needs on offense right now. And it just never really worked. I was never sure what the plan was. And some people will say that was BPA. Vassell was BPA. He was the best player on the board at the time. And it made the most sense. If you were going to keep Julius Randle around, you're going to give him to shoulder all this usage, which we're not going to get into on this podcast. But however, that was your plan. Why wouldn't you get Devin Vassell to muck up all the actions and space the floor and then go from there and have a solid wing cornerstone? Instead, we drafted this guy who kind of needs immediate reps right now, just adds to a loaded front court. And it's just people thought it was a sure thing when it really was never a sure thing when he got drafted to the Knicks. If Obi Toppin was in another system right now, do I think he'd probably look a little bit different? Yeah, I do. But that doesn't matter. That That's a hypothetical, and this is the reality. And the reality is the Knicks used a top 10 pick on him, which is a big-time asset. And they're going to try to – they're going to need to figure out how it works. I don't know how it works with the current roster and, you know, the current reps. It, it's, it's a fascinating situation, but I think – some of my concerns that I was caught catching backlash for, you know, being too pessimistic or, you know, just not or trying to be contrarian. Those have come to the surface. And, and that's the reality. Are we ready for the Super Bowl? That's right. The NFL is finishing up with its annual biggest game. It's Super Bowl Sunday coming up this week. And there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust for all your betting needs. It's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use our promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. All right, Alex, I'm looking at our schedule for the week. We're, we're going to have two more days with betonline.ag. So I'm going to I'm gonna save my Super Bowl prediction. I'll, I'll maybe give a little hint on tomorrow's pod, and Friday, I'll, I'll make an official hardcore lock it in prediction. I'm leaning one direction, but I'm not going to tell the people just yet. I'm going to stick with the prop bets for now. You, you've pulled out some fantastic ones over the last few days. Really exciting stuff. I'm, I'm still, I, I will actually be putting money down on uh, COVID coming up before pandemic on the broadcast. What do you got for me today in terms of prop bets? Oh, let's see. There's some interesting ones. Uh, how many commercials will have a dog in them? Over four and a half or under four and a half commercials? We should, uh, I don't know. That That's an interesting one to me. I'm, I'm going to maybe go over four and a half. You can't beat having dogs in commercials. They're, you know, instant sellers, instant feel good moments. So I'm going to go over. Uh, how many commercials will show a person wearing a mask over or under two and a half commercials? Again, I'm betting the over there. It's minus 450, but still... You know, with the year that we just had, there's no way that there won't be that many people with masks on. My favorite, I bought this one up before, but I'm going to bring it up again. The Puppy Bowl 17 winner. Are we feeling Team Fluff or Team Rough? It's a pick em at minus 120. Uh, I'm going to say Team Fluff. I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if I'm also contradicting myself. I might have said Team Rough before. But my, my opinion has changed. I don't think it's going to be Team Fluff. 
And uh, apparently Joe Biden is going to be doing a Super Bowl interview. So what will be said first by Joe Biden? Will it be the Bucks or Buccaneers or will it be the Chiefs? You can get minus 120 odds on either. I'm going to, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling like he's going to say the Bucks or the Buccaneers first, just maybe with a nod to Tom Brady, but I'm not 100% certain there, Gavin. But yeah, those, are, those are my faves for today. I, I, I like, I, I don't know why I think it feels right that he's going to say the Bucks first. Maybe, maybe I'm off, but they, they just feel like the bigger team in the zeitgeist. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I have the same inclination as you. Um, I, I'm always going to go over on the dogs because it's not, you, you have the dog commercials, but then they're also in the beer commercials. There's always, there was the one where the dog like carries like the little like flask across the country. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't There's know. There's also I'm, the one with the dog, the dog that would get the beers for the owner. Right, right. Maybe that's didn't he, thinking, didn't he yeah. name him? Um, he named his dog Bud Light or something. Like so, he was like, "Come here, Bud Light," and the dog would come and like bring him a Bud Light. Right, that sounds familiar. And yeah. then you know, there's gonna be like one like food commercial where like a dog is acting like a human. Maybe maybe just a general commercial where a dog is acting like a human. They're just they're it's similar to uh, to a Cade Cunningham. They're they're incredibly versatile. They, they do a lot of different things. So I, I think we will see more than four and a half dog commercials. The point is, we don't want you to sit on the sidelines anymore. We want you to get in on this action. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll be back in to finish up this episode with Jake Rosen in just a moment. But March Madness is only a few months away. But the future of the NBA is on display right now. Get a head start on next year's draft analysis by subscribing to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Draft guru Chad Ford has his first big board of the year out with profiles of Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and more. Subscribe to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast wherever you get podcasts. And now we get back into it with Jake Rosen. So let me ask you this. This is something that's been kind of interesting to me in regards to the age you know, concern, uh, which, you know, I, I, I'll fully admit, I was making fun of his age too, especially on draft night. Like my, probably my best joke tweet that I got off was saying that I'd need to go rent some VHSs to watch his game tape um, <laughs> because he was, you know, 22 years old coming into the draft and, you know, going to be 23, as you said. But like, I do wonder, you know, he did only play two years in college he was a late bloomer in general, as as far as basketball is concerned, you know, as far as growing into his body as it is now, um, you know, he had a growth spurt really late in high school or even maybe slightly in the college age, if I read correctly, uh, which, you know, we've seen happen with a number of big guys, particularly big guys that end up having good passing skills. Like that's kind of the, well, it wasn't Julius Randle's story, but that's like the Anthony Davis story. Uh, and a number of other guys that, you know, turned into bigs is that they grew up playing more guard and then all of a sudden shot up to, you know, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten, seven foot, whatever. And, you know, managed to still keep those same skills uh, that they developed while they were playing point guard when they were, you know, six foot two going into their junior year of high school. Uh, so how do you factor that into how you project Obi going forward, considering you know, he did only have the two years in college. He was very productive in those two years. And now we're seeing a situation where he is kind of coming along slowly in the NBA, in part because of skills, but in part because of being now effectively trapped behind Julius Randle, who is, I think, way better than anybody figured he would be. And 
unfortunately, it's just kind of one of those situations where it's almost like with Mitch and Nerlens Noel, it's almost a one for one situation. Like it, we've seen some lineups of Obi and Randall out there together. It can work for maybe two or three minutes of specialization minutes, but that's not really something you can lean on uh, and use as an opportunity to get Obi more playing time. So, you know, do you think that there's still room for him to grow more than his age would indicate just because of his relative lack of experience and the fact that maybe he's still growing into himself a little bit? Um, Look, it's certainly complicated because he did have that late growth spurt and he was a relatively late bloomer, you know, post-grad post-grad year and a redshirt year I believe which is how he got to you know be aged as a senior with playing two years of college ball so I mean he's I can see people making the argument that he's a little bit behind the curve my the reason I can't fully buy that is you'll hear I don't know how many how time how often you guys hear this it's a big word in like I know Ben Taylor talks about all the time it's a big thing in the draft and I valued a lot like scalability your ability to just play with different lineups and just plug and play and be able to play alongside guys. Like I think Devin Vassell was the ultimate scalable guy. Moses Moody, someone who's coming up in this draft, extremely scalable. Guys who can play on and off the ball, play two ways, you know, do a little bit of everything, but they have a niche that can allow them to bring high-level impact. And the problem where I just see, like, where I'm, I don't have a ton of optimism for Obi is that Obi is not scalable at all. We know that he needs someone else to play make those looks for him. We know that he needs a certain amount of space to operate as the role man. It's not going to come through post-ups. It's not going to come through self-created ISOs. It's going to be offense derived from either a scheme or another player. And so it's just very difficult for me to, you know, say, okay, in order to maximize Obi and probably return top eight or top five value with him already being almost 23, we're going to need to build some type of system around him. You know, what does that system look like? How does RJ Barrett fit into that system? What's Emmanuel Quickly's role in that system? Uh, where does Mitchell Robinson fit in? It, there's just, it's very clumsy and like there's a lot going on and there had been a lot more going on than Knicks fans wanted to admit when we drafted him on draft night. It, it was, I was never able to just sleep at night saying, yeah, we got the player of the year. It's going to be great because these concerns were always present. And my, just the concern I have with projecting his, you know, growth or even like an exponential growth is that. I don't know if he ever gets the system to do that. And if the front office decides to not go that route, I can't say they made the wrong decision based on the early returns that we've seen. And that's just the tough part about, you know, putting all your assets or not putting all your assets, but allocating a top 10 asset to a non-scalable non-scalable prospect who can't necessarily create their own offense. It's just really tough. And it's much more contextual than, you know, people want to admit back then or people want to admit looking going forward. And yeah, while the flash plays are intriguing, like it's looking like the Knicks are going to pick up Julius Randle's option for next year about the way he's playing. Where does OB fit in there? You know, RJ Barrett is pushing towards more on-ball reps. While he isn't the best playmaker, what does his role with OB look like? And, you know, and there's just a lot of things that don't necessarily fit together. And I'm not necessarily sure where he fits in the puzzle and again, for someone who's turning 23 next month, I feel like I'm being like a broken record, but it matters. Like that is not an ideal situation. Yeah, I think I think ultimately that's where I come down as well. And that, that's what people are, are maybe underrating a little bit. It, it's a uniquely poor fit with the Knicks. The question then becomes, all right, what is his value to other teams? And 
I'm, I mean, obviously just based on how he's played so far, it's, it's not very high, but more so than that, just, just looking forward, like what, what would be his ideal fit in the NBA to your point, like an extremely modern, like motion-based offense with, a, with a lot of guys who can make really smart reads, really high IQ passers that he could kind of have a multiplying effect on with his athleticism, his theoretical shooting and his, uh, his passing ability, which is, which is what we saw out of him in college. Um, the issue is you need to find, uh, or at least I would presume, you need to find a center who can protect the rim on one end and shoot threes on the, on the other end. And the guys in the, like, there are a lot of guys who theoretically have that skill set in the NBA. The number of guys who can actually do that on a night-to-night basis, it, it's it's pretty small. Like, they're just, like, there aren't a lot of those dudes walking on planet Earth. Um, so that's what makes it really tough for me. And I guess that kind of leads me into at least my final question on OB Jake. Um, if I'm putting you in the uh, in the Doc Rivers on the Clippers or, or Tibbs on the Timberwolves position, um, and you're the Knicks coach slash GM, what are you doing with Obi going forward? Um, and this is a loaded question. You don't have to have a definitive answer, even even just a vague idea. Probably something I should have keyed you up for before the pod, because I know it would take me a couple hours thinking to have a great answer on this. But given that there isn't like an obvious lineup utility for him, and like. Maybe the cleanest answer is like, oh, do you have to just play him at the five and like totally mortgage points on defense if you want to use him at his best or just get him out there with as much shooting as possible, which honestly, like with the bench unit, especially when Kevin Knox was playing, the Knicks have been doing to some extent and it still hasn't looked very good. Um, Or are you already shopping him? And and if you are, is he someone you could get? Like if you trade him to a contender, could you get a late first round pick for him? Does he even have that kind of value? Um, So wherever you want to start off uh, on that. I mean, I think first of all, like shopping him is pretty much off the table for me, honestly. Um, the chances of you getting that value back seem slim to none. And I think that kind of sends the wrong message to the organization. You kind of have to ride it out. Um, what it looks like, I don't know. I would probably lean towards some minutes at the five and, you know, like you said, bite the bullet defensively and just see what the offense looks like. Because again, the offense is going to need to be the calling card at some point if it's going to work. The defense is always going to be a problem. He's going to have to figure that out on the fly, and he's going to figure – and you're going to – like, based on who he's playing with, if you're playing at the five, you're going to give up points at the rim. If you're playing him on at the four, you're probably – if the team other team is smart and they throw out, like, a bigger wing who can attack off the bounce, you're going to be giving up points on the perimeter. That's always going to be a problem. What needs to happen is that he needs to reach this outlier potential on offense – and I think the best way for him to do that is playing him at the five and playing him as a role man, using him as a passer in space. But, you know, it's just tough when Julius Randle's playing as good a basketball as he is right now. And I think your best shot is probably staggering those two, you know, and going for some OB minutes as, as the main big. But again, like, there's really no easy answer. Even if you did cue me up with this before, I would probably come on here and say the same thing because there is no easy answer and there is no right answer. And that's sort of been the problem since day one. So speaking of easy answers, uh, let's move on to Emmanuel quickly. Cause I, I think we've, we spent enough time on Obi Toppin and again, his uh, hundred some odd, if that minutes of, of game time so far uh, moving to Emmanuel quickly. It, a guy who's much easier to project, I think, at least as far as what he can offer in the immediate term and going forward, because he's already shown so much of it. Um, Jake, this is another guy that, you know, I mean, Gavin and I will fully admit, like on draft night, we were, 
I wouldn't say that we were unsupportive of the pick, but we were a little bamboozled by it and thought, man, I bet this is probably a guy they could have gotten in the second round. Based off everything that we've seen so far, though, I mean, if he worked out for some other late first round teams, I don't I don't know for sure that the Knicks would have been able to get him in the second round uh, with pick 33 or whatever it was that they ended up with there. Um, but I mean, quickly so far has shown it seems like he's bringing out new things almost every other game. Uh, you know, he's at first it was the floater. Then, you know, the jumper started to come around. Now he's busting out step backs like every game. Um, he's his passing ability has been on display, like his ability to break down a defense, keep a guy on his hip and then not just use that to get a floater, but also have the vision to find a guy in the corner for a three pointer or whatever the case there. Um, his ability to run pick and rolls has been great. I mean, you, you name it, he can do it. Um, I, I think that he's been probably I well no it's not even a probably he is the biggest surprise of the the 2020 draft period um what were some things that that you and others you think like missed on him in terms of evaluating his talent coming to the NBA like and just how great of an impact he could potentially have is it just like another case of of coach Cal and Kentucky sort of suppressing someone, which we've seen a million times in the past. Like, do you think that his skill set is just better suited for the NBA than it was for college? Do you think it's quality of teammates? Like what, what would you peg, you know, this vast difference from what seemed like a, a good potential role player in college, you know, that maybe could come into the NBA and become a, you know, a, a like a, three and D ish type of guy off the bench that can maybe draw fouls a little bit too into like this guy who now looks like could be a potential superstar. Um, so first off, I mean, I said, I'm not someone to get self-conscious about my hits and misses. And if I'm going to take my little OB victory lap, I, I am actually just going to have to say it straight up. I was dead wrong about Emmanuel quickly and thank God he's on my favorite team and I can now root for him every night or else I'm not sure like what I would be able to do with myself because I mean, this is a guy, just to give you guys an idea of where his stock was at, I was calling him a top 40 guy, and I was getting grilled by people. And I, I'm, I'm not saying I was in the right. I thought he was like, you know, people were pegging him off as like a fringe draftable guy. And I was like, no, no, like this guy has some crazy touch, like could be a big time shooter, scraps on defense. Like I'd give him a look in like the mid second, you know, like early second, maybe. I was very unsupportive of the pick at 25. I was livid for passing on Malachi Flynn. And boy, was I really, really dumb. Uh, he is incredible. And, you know, based on just, I've done a lot of like thinking back, because I watched a ton of Kentucky, you know, with between him, Maxi, you know, obviously you're going to watch a ton of Kentucky. I, I was watching a ton of SEC basketball last year between LSU, Arkansas, Auburn. And, you know, the one thing that did stand out with him, and I tweeted this, you know, quickly had the best touch in the class. Um, that was very set in stone to me. His touch on floaters and pull-ups was incredible. He basically didn't miss free throws in, in college and doesn't hasn't missed money free throws so far. Um, the shooting upside and, you know, the tough shot making, if you would have told me that, I, I would have gotten behind it. And the floaters, I, I, I could buy that. What has completely blown me away is how – competent and mature and composed he is as a handler because 
you know, we did not see that at all at Kentucky. Uh, he was playing in that three-guard rotation with him, Maxie, and Hagens, where, you know, to look back in hindsight, the fact that Hagens was the primary initiator on a team with Quickly and Maxie, boy, is that going to be a fun one to look back on. But, you know, all of his stuff off the bounce in college was tough. It, it would be a lot of trying to get downhill. You know, he's not – he doesn't have a ton of great vertical pop around the rim, very slender frame. And he, he had to settle for these floaters a lot, but it didn't even look like now he's not, I don't think he's settling for floaters. He's getting to his spots and taking advantage of what the defense is giving to him. In college, it didn't necessarily look like that. You know, this whole notion of running a pick and roll, getting a guy on your hip, you know, just playing with him from like forcing him to get behind. And then you can leverage a two on one with the shot blocker and the roll man with your floater. I, I mean, we just didn't see that at all at Kentucky. And, you know, you could have maybe sold me on him being like a spark plug off the bench who's going to come in, compete, bring energy, and make shots. Uh, I mean, never would I have ever predicted him being this good right away with the amount of ball handling responsibility that the Knicks have given him, and I'm extremely excited about it. Yeah, so I guess I guess that brings up kind of an interesting question, and, and we, we, we can go back as much as we want to talk about how good he has been, but I'm curious what he's going to be going forward and what ultimately the the ceiling for him is because a lot of times you have rookies who have these early season explosions and especially for someone who who wasn't a top 10 pick and, and wasn't considered a potential star coming out of college or coming out of high school um the tendency is to say this is not sustainable and and eventually there's going to be enough film on him there's going to be enough attention um directed his way that the efficiency is going to drop off or, or the shots will just stop falling or, or he's going to get exposed defensively to the point that you're saying that was all well and good. But now that um, the Knicks or, or whatever team in this example are playing serious games, um, all of a sudden this guy has some real deficiencies and, and you, you, you kind of have to take off the rose colored lenses and say, oh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be a nice player, but this, this and this are a concern. Um, with quickly, I'm content to stay in the honeymoon phase as long as possible, especially because the Knicks, I mean, they've, they've never been the recipient of this kind of draft luck in, in modern memory. They're never the team that finds the Donovan Mitchell or the Rudy Gobert or the Pascal Siakam. It's always someone else. And it's always the Knicks lamenting, oh man, we should have, we should have thought about that guy. And, and it's always the insider report from uh, Mark Berman or someone with an anonymous uh, Knicks G or front office person saying, yeah, you know, I actually wanted to take him, but I, I was talked out of it. Um, and, and in this case, the Knicks, the Knicks finally got that guy. So I'm, I'm not telling anyone not to be happy. I'm not telling anyone to, um, to not treasure this, but what are we really looking at here, Jake? Can you kind of cut through all that and, and, and let us know what, what, what is Emmanuel quickly going to be in the NBA in your mind? Um, you know, so the the initial skepticism of him as a prospect was you're talking about someone who's 6'3 and extremely skinny and who I wasn't comfortable pegging as a point guard. Um, I still kind of feel that way. We're talking about someone who is probably going to struggle at the rim for the foreseeable future. You know, not a crazy athlete. And while he'll compensate in the in like the in-between area with crazy touch, those are streaky shots and those are difficult shots. Do I see a path where Emmanuel quickly is, has the best floater and the most efficient floater in the NBA? Yeah, that's incredibly feasible. Like I said, you know, his touch is otherworldly and I think he's going to be a big shot maker for his entire career because it, he checks every box. Floaters from all over the court, doesn't miss free throws, big time three-point shooter. Like he is the definition of a big time shooter. And I think that's probably what we're looking at long-term. You know, when I came in, 
and we talked about like my philosophy piece that I had written, you know, secondary creators were, were a big emphasis, point of emphasis for me. And what the secondary creator entails is someone who can create their own shot off the bounce, especially from deep, um, has ways to score inside the arc, can play make for their teammates to a certain degree, and can run secondary actions. And I think that's what, you know, the safer outlook is with Quickly. Look, he surprised me so much. Could he continue this crazy developmental track and become, you know, that shot making point guard that you have to pick up at half court and everything goes from there? Sure. Why not? Maybe. But what I'm comfortable penciling him in for is, you know, like this big time scalable guard that can play alongside other creators and will provide value through his shooting. And, you know, you you do have to be careful with overtasking him with so much responsibility, because if you aren't, if you're relying on floaters as opposed to getting to the rim a lot, that is, that leaves room for slumps and errors and efficiency. So I, I think that's probably something where I would look for him to take that next step. And that was always something since college. I mean, they're falling right now and I think they're going to continue to fall, but you know, getting to the rim, earning free throws, challenging shot blockers is a more efficient pathway. I mean, this brings us to the decision. Is it more efficient for him to take a wide open floater in the, in the high paint area or go challenge someone with his tools and frame? I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, I do want to like, I don't think the Knicks found their point guard of the future and their league creator of the future, but I am still very, very excited about what he is right now and what he can become in the future. I just want to, Alex, I'm going to throw it to you in a sec. just want to throw out a quick stat on that, that, that at least encourages me. I, I, I tend to agree with you that ultimately you're going to need that um, quote unquote big initiator to run your offense and quickly could potentially be great playing off him. But the argument for him being a lead ball handler, certainly with bench units and in certain lineups in certain contexts um, here's the list. This is courtesy of uh, Jack Huntley of the Strickland, a great writer, great podcast guest, great Englishman. Um, he, he put together via cleaning the glass a list of the players in the NBA with an over 29% usage and under 10% turnover rate. Right now, that list is Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Victor Oladipo, Jason Tatum, and the youngest guy on that list, Emmanuel Quickly. Yeah, that's a pretty fantastic stat. From Jack Huntley of Strickland, if I may say so myself. What a great website. What a great Love website. It. Love it. <laughs> um, but Jake, to your point, I, you know, I was going to, it's funny that you were bringing up the, you know, not getting to the rim at the, the end there. I was looking via basketball reference and granted these numbers fluctuate depending on where you looked them up. Uh, but via basketball reference, Emmanuel quickly at the rim this year has only taken nine attempts. Uh, and made five of them, but from three to ten feet, which is his his floater sweet spot, he's shooting forty seven point eight percent, which is a little less than ideal as far as what you would want for effectively around the rim shooting, because uh, around the rim you typically want I don't know ballpark like at least sixty percent. You know, I would say is what you consider like good enough around the rim shooting if you then have good outside shooting and have, you know, a mid-range game to make up for it and stuff like that. So do you think that that getting inside is and, you know, having more attempts at the rim and becoming even a little more efficient than what he's shown on an extremely limited sample size where he's at 55.6% on nine total attempts right now? Do you think that that's in the cards for quickly potentially to be able to get into the 
into the paint more to get all the way up to the rim? Or do you think that this floater thing is mostly just going to be his, his bread and butter for most of his career? If not, I don't well, or yeah, I guess it would be for his career. I mean, I, I don't know what else, you know, other than getting to the rim, there's no other like alternative other than I guess a mid range pull up, but I'd rather him take this floater than, than a mid range pull up. So do you think that that's sort of the missing skill for him is getting to the rim to, you know, get those easier points that way? Oh, I mean, I think absolutely from an efficiency standpoint, it, look, he's been incredible. Do not get me wrong. But if you do look at the raw numbers, he is shooting 41% from the field and he is shooting 45% from two. Those are both numbers that aren't ideal. So while, yes, I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a 50, 40, 90 guy immediately. If you're looking for avenues for him to improve and you want him to be this lead guard of the future, lead guards get to the rim. You know, lead guards have to put pressure on the defense and they do that by engaging the center and causing rotations and getting all the way to the rim. Quickly has played 18 games, nine rim attempts. That's one rim attempt per every two games. That's not going to fly. You know, that's just not going to fly. And I think the number, what do you say he was? He was 47% from three to 10. Yeah. Um, 47.8 to like 48%, but. Which is yeah. pretty damn good, you know, considering mm-hmm. the difficulty and the shots that he's taking, which what I'm saying is I do think there is a pathway for him having just like this outlier floater game that, that he relies on in its patent. However, when you're on and you're still shooting below 50% from that area, you know, it's tough to kind of pencil in and say, this is how I'm going to get my buckets for the next X amount of years. And people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, you're selling him short. He could easily make x y and z improvements but what i'm saying is like a reason why i was lower on him coming out of the draft is because i didn't buy his ability to get all the way to the rim and put pressure on the defense that way the shot making has been better than i could have ever imagined so he's making up for it in value in that way but if we're looking at avenues for him to improve and if you're going to put all the marbles in him as this like big time lead guard which i think is a little bit irrational that's where he needs to make the jump. It is, you know, getting to the rim more. One rim attempt in one rim attempt per every two games is just unacceptable. Um, whether that's settling or just an inability to get there, uh, I do think he is pretty physically limited in that area, and he's definitely more comfortable with that little touch shot, which he is shown to be very capable of hitting. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you're gonna have to go get to the line. He's a great free throw shooter. Go shoot. X amount of free throws per game and, and, you know, make and get easy points that way. Um, It's just, it is tough because if you look at him, he isn't, isn't like, he's not Donovan Mitchell in that aspect where he can get to the rim and get downhill whenever he wants. He's not a six, three, like he, they're both six, three. One of them's really skinny. The other one's built and can jump out of the gym. Um, That's like kind of where the difference in this archetype comes from is that quickly is going to have to get to the rim at some point if he wants to be able to shoulder the usage that I think a lot of Knicks fans are going to assume he's going to take on in the next couple of years. Jake, I'm in total agreement with you. It sounds like he'd be really good playing next to someone like, I don't know, Kate Cunningham. Um, But we can, we can get into that next time on Locked on Knicks. You'll be back on. We'll talk 2021 guys. But before we let you go for this one, um, can you tell people one more time where they could find you on social media and where they can find your work? Yeah, so uh, you can f- first off follow me on Twitter at Jake in the Paint. Um, always talking draft, Knicks, whatever you want. At me, engage me. My DMs are open. 
Um, check out my website, jakeinthepaint.com. I posted a piece about a month ago. I think a month ago at this point, I wrote about four prospects in the 2021 class that could kind of satisfy this idea of second side creation that we actually just talked about. So go check that out and subscribe to Preps Pro Podcast on all platforms. Uh, we should, I don't know when this is going up for you guys, but we should have another episode up in a couple of days. We, Max and I recorded our first episode. You know, we did a whole wing philosophy deep dive if you're into those kind of things. So subscribe. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for me today. Oh, geez. Is that all? <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all. Well, Jake, thanks so much for coming on for this episode of Locked on Nixon. As we said, uh, behind the curtain, we're about to record the second episode with Jake. Uh, which is going to be focused on the 2021 draft. So uh, tune in for that later this week. But until next time, peace out and talk to you soon.